Welcome to PPU Panel with Ava and Eric. Today we're going to talk about Ava's newest addition, optics, and if we're on the brink of a civil war, and if we are, what is going to happen? Eric, how are you doing since uh, you ate those peppers last week? I'm feeling pretty good, actually. You know, they they really didn't wreck me uh, quite like I thought they would. So, Do you uh, feel like maybe you grew like a few new Chesters by chance? <laughs> yeah, those, uh, those peppers will definitely make a man out of you. I, you know, I have to say though, not as hot as I expected them to be. At the time, I was I was feeling like I was suffering pretty well, but I would say um, the aftermath was probably far worse than the actual incident. <laughs> okay, so that Pepto Bismol maybe it helped a little bit, maybe it didn't. We don't know. Um, well, that's good. Okay, so before we start with the show, uh, big announcement: we have another sponsor. Now that it is the first of the year, which happy new year's guys. And, um, our new sponsor is Rossi. Well, yeah, Rossi, Rossi USA. And I actually just got an email from them. Uh, keep in mind, we do pre-record this show. So actually new year's hasn't happened yet. Um, but it says that Rossi USA expands R95 line with triple black and laminate models featuring Picatinny rails. And this triple black, uh, like, lever gun is freaking sexy. I never thought I'd say that about a lever gun, but, like, this is a good-looking lever gun. Um, just looking at the email, so black Cerakote finish or laminate wood finish, people sights on Picatinny rail, or I'm sorry, people sight on Picatinny rail, a windage drift adjustable front sight, threaded barrel, triple black, medium loop lever, paracord, paracord wrapped, soft touch recoil pad tube magazine with five round capacity and then sling mounts like this is ooh, this i gotta get my hands on one of these i'm you actually know, what it's crazy to see how how many companies are going the, the tactical lever gun route i know i know i love it i i'll be honest i don't own a single lever gun um same thing, like, it's this thing with, like, lever guns and revolvers. I'm like, eh, it's just a little too, like, Western-ish for me. But, uh, yeah, I've seen, like a, like, a lot of nice lever guns lately, and I definitely need to jump on that bandwagon. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see these actually in person at SHOT Show. So yeah. we'll definitely have to check it out. But, yeah, um, head on over to Rossi. Um, send some love to our new sponsor, and that website is Rossi, R-O-S-S-I-U-S-A.com. All right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you'll, you guys will hear more from us about that as well. Uh, so now it is time for a mail call, uh, something that we got new. Eric, why don't you go ahead and. Okay. Um, so I actually didn't get anything in the mail, but what I thought we would do might be kind of cool. This is a little bit of a departure from our normal mail call segment. If I don't ever have something come in the mail, what I'll do is show and tell instead. Mm, I like uh, it. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and switch over here. Give me a moment uh, for me. All right. So I was cleaning up in the basement the other day um, and I found this Marlin papoose. All right. And oh, if you don't wow. know what that is, it is an old school survival rifle um, that Marlin used to put out back in the day. And you see that the remember the old Allen cases. Look at that Allen brand. So Allen made these cases for um, for Marlin. OK, and you can see that it is a takedown. And it's got the little factory Tasco scope and, uh, of course, the barrels in the pouch here. I'm not going to put it together, but isn't that cool? It's a semi-auto. Uh, magazine fed it's got the little factory tasco scope and uh you know it's just a neat little survival rifle that they sold as a package and you know i know that everybody uh you know always tends to look at something like the ruger takedown uh you know as being an, an option that let's just say uh, many people gravitate to as uh, as a potential option but you know the the whole takedown concept is not necessarily new um you know stevens used to make a bunch of guns marlin used to make a bunch of guns and uh there was a uh, one James Bond movie that actually used the papoose, um, mm. I believe. So you know, actually, it might have been the the AR7 that was used in the James Bond. I think it was the, was the AR7. But 
it is a cool little sy system. And I, I just yeah. found the little case downstairs and I forgot I even had it and I wanted to show it off because that's a you know pretty unique piece of hardware. Kind of a little takedown right. And the name alone is uh, interesting. Like, let's call it the papoose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a, you know, an, an interesting name. Um, but yeah, that is definitely a cool little gun. Yeah, really just cool. thought I'd show it off. Yeah. Well, I didn't really get anything in the mail either, but I did get a really cool Christmas gift, and that is my own range, my own shooting range. So um, my dad, he owns like a ton of property, and I asked him, I like mentioned, you know, because I have a ton of steel, and I do have um, a range way out east, like maybe 30 miles from where I am, if not more. And um, I have all like all kinds of steel on it that I've gotten. You know, I have like a really cool um, uh, plate rack, a dueling tree, Texas star, a bunch of Caldwell steel. Like it's literally, I mean, a dream. And unfortunately, I haven't really been able to make it out there because it's just so far away. And it's like a whole day thing, you know, to go out there. And so my dad was like, well, what if, you know, I give you like a range like I'll give you your own little private range. And if you guys want to tune in, uh, I did record like a quick little YouTube video and I put it on my YouTube channel, just Ava Flanell. And it's kind of funny. Like we, you know, I'm up in the loader and he takes me over there. And um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to like just putting all the steel out there and just really training. And um, it has berms all around. So I could do kind of like a 360 training, which I'm looking forward to as opposed to just you know, training for potentially the threat in front of me. So yeah, so stay tuned for that. But pretty the nice exciting. thing about having you know the berms way up on all all three sides too is that you can always get away with so much more. Not not only from the directions that you can shoot, but also the type of things that you can do in there. Like if you ever like to, like shoot uh, naked and nobody's gonna see. No, well, I'm <laughs> That or setting off some binary or, you know, blowing things up or if you're using flamethrowers or, you know, yeah. what what me and the guys always used to just call a danger pit. Yeah. Um, that that one area on the property where we push up, you know, three big berms and just have like a little danger pit where we just do all the really dangerous stuff. That's, that's actually a really good point because, yeah, then there's like there's no wind that's going to, you know, if you're using a flamethrower or something. Um, yeah. There's so many things that could happen in that pit. I'm excited for it. There you go. Yeah. All I right. Um, so would you rather segment? We didn't have any questions for that, which is good because I think that today's topic is going to be fairly long. Um, so we will just go straight to the listener questions. Um, this question is from Stephen Callen93. He said, what do you think of the Fort Scott Munitions 62 grain 556 brass Solid tumble on impact. And I honestly have no idea. Um, I don't have any experience with it. Do you? We have done a fair amount of testing with the Fort Scott uh, munitions, ammo and everything like that. And they really do make a great product. And I love their 4570 ammo. I love their straight wall uh, rifle ammo. Uh, you know, anything that's a big brass punch or, you know, big brass solid is always going to have good penetrating capabilities. And uh, we have done some some fairly scientific testing on their projectiles, and they do work quite well. Um, the only thing that we ever really noticed uh, with their ammo that could be maybe a minor detriment is it seemed like maybe the accuracy, like long-range accuracy in the 5.56 lobes, was not as good as we'd like to see. However, um, you know, for what the ammo costs of being a premium bullet, they do quite well. The, the tumble on impact does do quite well, and it, it is an interesting concept. Uh, that does have its place. And uh, of course, the people around the company too are very, very good folks, good Christian folks, really good, good people. And uh, I've always thought highly of them just, you know, from a personal level as people, they are good people. And uh, they do make a fine product. And I think that I, I do gravitate to more of their uh, revolver and lever gun uh, cartridges, which oddly enough, you know, with, with Rossi earlier, we were talking about their R95, that'd be some perfect food for the R95 would be some, uh, you know, Fort Scott TUIs or 4570 or whatever type of other calibers and things like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But they, they work quite well. It's a, it's a good bullet. I don't have a ton of experience with the 62 grain 556, but just in general, their ammo uh, tends to work pretty well. It is a, it's a good premium, premium bullet. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Um, next is from Prospecting Monkey. I was trying to read this earlier before the show. I suggested that you read it because it sounds, you know, hopefully I don't offend anybody by this, uh, a little hillbilly. And I was like, Eric, this is right up your alley. I'm going to read it in my best hillbilly accent. Uh, it says, I have a question about optics. <laughs> like, she's just like, huh? <laughs> um, I'm doing my first build ever, which is eight inch, 300 blackout. It's going to be my backpack gun. I have poor vision, 2060, and with glasses. What would a decent MIFMD range priced optic optics? On my 9mm Hellcat Pro, I've been using Holison EPS Carry Green. Seems to work fine, but that's for short-range self-defense. What would you recommend? I appreciate your channel so much. By the way, I'd like to, I'd like to share it, and of course... Now commented. That's both of you. Oh, and one more question. What's your Bigfoot self-defense gun? I have seven run-in Sierras and now one here in Florida. Thanks again. <laughs> Did I do okay? Why did you assume that he's a hillbilly? Is it just because, you know, he saw Bigfoot seven times? No, uh, I just think... He probably is not. He's probably extremely refined um, and maybe just wrote this really quickly. And it comes off as maybe, you know, because I mean, I was like, what is he asking? Where does this sentence start? Where does it end? <laughs> you know, like my English brain is like having a heart attack. But um, I will say the Hollis and EPS carry. I have that um, as well as with the green. And I am really happy with it. Um, as far as I mean, Hollison obviously makes some some optics that are very similar. If you wanted to put that on a long range, like on a, a rifle. Um, the one thing I will say, I mean, even, you know, like Gideon optics, um, which I mean, this would be a good plug actually to plug in our, our ad spot. Um, but Gideon optics, I've been really impressed with their stuff, especially the mediator. And it's funny how you and I both gravitated towards the same optic, like around the same time you're we like, I like this one. And I was like, that's the one that I really like. I just put it on my IWI Zion 15 and shot really well um and then you messaged me a few days ago you were recording some content and you were shooting at what like 300 yards like yeah. hit and skill i mean that's pretty good i had the psa jackal set up with the mediator on it and uh you know see a little trick about red dots that a lot of people may not know you know just kind of keep this in mind everybody wants to bump that intensity at way bright mm -hmm. but you get a much finer point of aim if you try to keep the intensity about as low as you possibly can get it. Because the dimmer it is, the smaller and more fine and refined it is. And yeah. we put a good solid zero at 100 yards with that uh, thing dialed down really low. And then when you do punch out a little further, uh, you do get some better consistency. And I noticed out of Mediator, um, I was doing quite well with it. And, you know, with the Jackal, I was probably logging hits on a half-size D28 maybe, I don't know, 60%, 70% of the time, which for a 10.5-inch barrel with a red dot, no magnification, um, I think it goes to speak volumes for how well that particular optic holds a zero. Um, now, one thing on the Hollison, you'd mentioned the Hollison rifle sights and things like that, and I'm not, I'm certainly not talking smack about Hollison because uh, they make fine pistol optics, and their rifle optics are quite good, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they're kind of in that mid-tier price range. I'd say that that Allison as well as, uh, you know, Gideon are in a similar price point, you know, mm -hmm. overall. But one thing, one minor complaint on, on the Hollison, and it's, it's a legitimate complaint, is the battery door. I don't like the way you, you put the batteries in and out of them. And it seems like those screws strip out really bad. And over time, it, it just seems like after repeated removals of those screws. You mean uh, like just, the battery tray? Yeah. See, I almost, I was going to tell Gideon maybe to do that because it just seems so much more convenient because you don't have to, you know, take it off and then side it in again. Um, yeah. But I guess now that I think about it, I have not had to change a battery yet with any of my optics that do have that little battery tray. So I guess I'll go for your, you know, go with your word for it. Um, because I will say, I mean, nothing's worse too than, some of these screws that come with some of these optics, I'm like, it's like it's already, um, you know, what is it called? It's already like stripping uh, out. Yeah, stripped. Yeah. I'm like, what is that word? I don't know. I'm not, you know, a tool person. Um, but yeah. And and 
Yeah. So that's like some of them. I'm, I'm like, why not just like pay a little extra money, like a few cents more and just get like better screws? You know? Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I always used to wonder, like, you would think that like a, a Nibix screw, like to have either a titanium nitriding or a Nibixing gun on a screw is can't be that expensive. Why yeah. But just- when you're thinking about thousands of, well, hundreds of thousands of products and let's say it's the difference of like maybe two cents. You know, it does add up and a lot of businesses, I mean, I was talking to somebody who, um, I'm not going to name the company, but they were like, yeah, the, the product person is just like so cheap that if they can save a few cents, they're going to do it. Even if it, you know, if it means, you know, quality versus just crap and it's kind of unfortunate. So yeah. Fair enough. Um, but luckily there is a lot of other optic companies out there. Like that's one thing that's great is there's so many great optic companies out there and the prices come down significantly. And I would say like, unless you're shooting like at a really long distance, um, I would say that there's a lot of optics out there that, you know, I would just go to a store and just try out, you know, look at the reticle and see which one makes sense. And I think that would be your best bet. I mean, unless you're doing like really long range, like extreme long range, um, you know, even past a thousand yards, then, okay, you want to get, you know, a little bit more nitty gritty and, and really do your research. But I think anything would probably do as long as it's like within the mid, it doesn't mean like go and buy like a, an optic off Amazon for $25. Yeah. <laughs> but Well, like the Sig Romeo five, you know, look how many of those freaking things they've sold. I know. They're like $109. I know. And- just trying to put a red dot on a little nine millimeter PCC or something, they do hold up pretty well. Mm-hmm. I know. I I think the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd like trust my life with it, you know, but there's not a whole lot that I trust my life with anyway. So that should yeah. say something. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, all right, listener comments. So there was one comment that I wanted to address just looking at it briefly. And again, we're not gonna stay on all of this that much because we have a really long um topic to cover but somebody was like are y'all banging and there's been a few people like one person was even like oh eric now i know why you're getting in shape as if insinuating like oh because of me which <laughs> i mean that's that would be you know like oh i'd be i'd be honored <laughs> but um i do want to address like i hate reading comments like that because it's like, so can men and women not work together without having some sort of, you know, without like having sex or hooking up? Like, I mean, think about it. There's tons of men and women out there that have a profession together, news anchors, um, you know, like all kinds of stuff. And and I'm like, it's kind of gross that that's like where people's head just automatically goes. Um, I am single and I just recently started dating again, which I was just filling Eric in on uh, some of my dating prospects. I wouldn't say dating adventures because I haven't gone on any dates yet, but dating prospects <laughs> and it's not pretty out there. But that said, I do not date anybody in the gun industry, um, regardless of of anything. So um, just clearing the air with that one. Um All right, before we start talking about the main topic, ATI Outdoors, they make some really cool stuff. Uh, Lots of additions, you know, if you're, you know, if you want some new furniture for your 1022, for your shotgun, even ARs, I mean, they have all kinds of stuff to check out. Um, I'd say just go to their website, check it out, atioutdoors.com, and yeah, We'll see if they're going to, you know, maybe they're releasing some new stuff. They have that new stock that I talked about last show, too. So really exciting to see um, all of the all of the stuff that they're doing. All right. So main topic, civil war. So I'm sure everybody at this point is familiar with everything that happened with uh, Trump, you know, not being on the ballot in Colorado, which Colorado is where I live. And I personally think that regardless of where you stand politically, whether you're anti-Trump or not, you should be, I mean, you should be angry. I mean, the fact that like the things that politicians and, and, you know, uh, judges and just the legal system are pulling at this point is just disgusting. 
And it got me thinking, you know, because I've been very active in like comments and, you know, and, and sharing my opinion and arguing with people who think that, you know, this was the right thing to do. Um, and it makes me realize, like, I mean, more than ever, and I know we've probably said this even the same thing a year ago, but more than ever, our country is so divided. And it makes you kind of wonder, you know, at what point? I don't think it's a matter of if, I, I think it's a matter of when, at what point are we going to have some kind of civil war? Yeah. I mean, at what point is the, you know, proverbial pot going to boil over, as they say? And, yeah. you know, when you look at the the tensions that are going on in this country right now, that things are very tense and a lot of people are at each other's throats and you have to think there's all this inflation, everything going on with the economy. Uh, people are struggling with this immigration issue, and you know that's a hotbed of uh, of topic and a hotbed of debate uh, in terms of a topic amongst people. And uh, it seems that we have a weaponized alphabet agencies out there, and it seems like they're only being you know weaponized towards one specific group of people, namely being conservatives, pro gun people, Christians, things of that nature. And look, it very much is in that territory where. You know, we we clearly are living under a two tier justice system, and uh, it, it seems that there, there is no equal justice, and that's people's you know reality. That's people's perspective. And um, I articulated a fairly long tweet. Um, although, look, this is a pretty important subject. I want to read this tweet uh, mm -hmm. that I made the other day because I think it does put you know maybe some people into the mindset of you know, where people are at right now, especially folks like I, who, you know, during, let's just say the war on terror, you know, there's 20 years worth of wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, many people, my generation that are in my age range, let's just say folks that are in their, you know, mid thirties to, to mid forties right now. You know, I think that this statement will ring true and, and really resonate with a lot of people, particularly people who have been uh, involved in military service, and especially if you served in the Middle East. But it's kind of, I think this tweet really drove home where people's heads are at right now. So I want to read it, Ava, and okay. uh, it, it won't take too long. It's a fairly long tweet. Uh, it's long form, but it won't take too long. But I do want to read it because I think this will this will help set the tone for, I think, where people are at. And uh, since I already took the time to articulate it on Twitter, why don't I just read it? Yeah. All right. So everyone take a moment to uh, step back and put yourself in the mindset of the days surrounding 9-11. Ignore the politics, the lies, or conspiracy surrounding those events. That's a whole different issue. Many of us young rural people are really pissed to see a deadly attack against our people. We didn't see left versus right, rich versus poor, black versus white. Many of us left comfortable middle-class lives and some not-so-comfortable lives to serve because it's what we felt compelled to do. Say what you want, but the majority of soldiers and in combat arms MOS usually are right-wing conservative types. It's just the reality of that makeup. The sense of patriotism people felt at the time was unique and real. People didn't see dead Democrats on 9-11, while I'd be willing to bet the majority of the people in those towers were on the political left. The point is the left will try to convince you that we rural people are full of hate, bigotry, and racism, but the truth is, they're just playing you all for fools. I regret my participation in the Iraq war, knowing what I know now, but I don't regret the honest place that that service came from in my set of morals and principles. The way I felt when I saw those people die, we didn't see politics. We only saw our people. All right, and this is where it gets to be pertinent, Ava. I believe we are far removed from those times in a frightening way where tribal gymnastics, class warfare, and political grandstanding come before even our own individual morals and values that make us American in the first place. Now, those on both sides of the political aisle would gladly cast the first stone at a stranger if given the opportunity without even taking into account that we are all Americans first. The political divide is toxic and has created a deep wound that may never heal. All you have to do is look at military recruitment, and that tells a distinctive story about the lack of patriotism people are feeling right now. It's every man for himself and damn the idea of a republic. People hate the government. People hate each other. Perhaps it's true that people hate themselves too. They see their life as a failure, and they see themselves as living in the death throes of an empire. While that's a defeatist point of view, 
I can understand why some harbor those feelings. What we have, uh, what we were promised as a generation was a lie. And all we have to show for it is our dead friends, failed marriages, alcoholism and substance abuse, and a feeling of existential dread and anger. So before you write off rural flyover people as uncultured, unwashed, and unworthy, it may be useful to take a moment to reflect on who is doing all the hating and who is responsible for how shitty things are. Because it's not us. We've been here all along. We will always carry the burden that war provides, and we will do it even if society hates us. Wow. So it's true. And that's where a lot of people's heads are at right now. A lot of people that are in the silent majority, a lot of people that are, you know, they, 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 they keep their head down and they work hard and they do the right thing and they pay their taxes and they go and do their nine to five job, you know, their hard hat, blue collar, working stiff kind of job. And they, they work hard and do the best they can to enjoy the amount of time they have here with their family. And they work hard to provide for their family. They keep their head down. They don't worry about all the politics. They don't worry about all the bull crap, right? What do they do? They just work hard and they see all this rhetoric and divisions being parroted by the media. What do they do? They go, man, I got time for all that crap. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to save up money to take my family on vacation. I'm trying to save up money to, you know, buy my wife something cool or take the kids on a trip or provide for my children better or to provide a better future. People are so worried about the day to day of trying to survive. They don't have time to worry. The silent majority doesn't have time to worry about mm -hmm. all that the left consistently parrots. We look at the concept of civil war or discourse or just the, the anger that people have towards each other on both sides of this political front, Ava. It just seems to me that it's really more the left than it is the right. And, and eventually you have to see it that way. That it's, it's not the silent majority. It's the, it's the, the Winston Churchill said that you should never stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. Who's right? Yeah, because you don't. If if all you do is worry about every yapping little dog, you're never going to get to your destination. You have to sometimes just ignore the loud minority to look at the majority situation that's in your worldview, which is moving forward, building a better world, walking down the path that's in front of you. And that's yeah. the thing Churchill said. That's very true. So. I don't know. So I have a bunch of questions. I mean, like if we had a civil war, you know, a lot of people have been talking about it more than ever. And um, I'm just kind of curious, like, I mean, what do you think? How did it all pan out in your opinion? The potential for a civil war. Yeah. Like, I mean, how do you like at what point? Like, where does it start? You know, I mean, I think like. I think like we were, you know, kind of close in 2020 with all the, you know, the riots and the looting and stuff like that um, with, you know, the whole January 6th thing. Um, you know, I mean, there's been some times where it's like, oh, you know, is this going to stop or is it going to continue? So it's like, how do you think that this is like, when do you think? Well, I'm not going to say when do you think people are going to have enough, but like, when do you think it's, you know, how do you think it'll start? It's already starting. It's already starting. I mean, we're, we're literally living through the moments of what is essentially the cold war leading into the hot war mm -hmm. and how things pan out in the war of ideas going to really depend on how this thing pans out in the actual hot war, or if it ever gets to that point at all, you know? You know, the kettle was kind of brewing over and it's getting a little hot and it's starting to bubble, but it's still not too late to turn it down. And I think that there are many situations right now people are worried about. Look at all of the, you know, they're trying to remove all these people off the ballots. Well, now that they tried to remove Trump off, well, they removed Trump off the ballot in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, what does the right do? The conservative side, the, the Republican side, they're already uh, starting to, to, to form movements where they're trying to get Democrats removed from the ballot. So, I think it's an unhealthy environment where, you know, if your enemy throws fire at you to throw gasoline on that fire. And I think that it, there's a fine line there because you don't just want to stand idly by and just let them do what they're doing and not respond in kind and do something, you know, equivalent. Uh, because when someone is trying to trespass against you, you have to protect yourself from that trespass and insulate yourself from that trespass. So I'm not saying that they're not doing the right thing strategically to do that. 
but it does create a domino effect. And I think that what a lot of people's worry is right now, people's quality of life is not, you know, negative to the point where people are that desperate or, or getting kind of crazy. I mean, right now, inflation's out of control. You know, everyone's cost of living is going up. The day-to-day minutia of living is just becoming harder, right? You know, yeah, that extra money you're spending on gas and food and things like that, it adds up and it affects your bottom line. And, and when people get to a point where everything they make goes towards just the necessities they need to live and they don't have a sense of fulfillment in their life, that's when things people start to question, well, is my life really going in a way that is befitting of, of someone? I mean, like, am I really living a quality of life that I feel is, is valuable to me, that's providing value, that is you know, giving me a sense of fulfillment in my everyday life? And I think when you have a lot of people who start to question uh, whether or not their life is even having real meaning and purpose from day to day, that they're just, they feel like they're a wage slave, that they're just working to live. And, and all that does is just create a domino effect between those two things. I think that that's when people start to go, you know what, we've had enough. When you look at the French Revolution, you know, look, we're not going to get down that rabbit hole super far, but, you know, look, I mean, they, they revolted. I mean, like, there's been many revolutions in the past. And when you look at um, a revolution, all right, so what does revolution mean? Revolution means to go back to where you started. At the, in the, at the sense of the word. So when we look at revolution from a political standpoint, from a you know standpoint like our American revolution or war for independence, right? It means that we had to have somewhere to start back from. So that's what the Constitution is. That's what the Bill of Rights is. That's what the Magna Carta is. That's what all these founding documents are that we have that we can say, hey, this is our starting point. If things get so bad, we're going to go back around and we're going to start back where we started and and, and use that to pick up the pieces and move on. That's the idea of having those founding documents in place by codifying our rights in such an important way. And uh, and now we see that, right, uh, the courts are absolutely, you know, throwing the book out completely. Uh, they mm-hmm. are ignoring the Supreme Court. They're ignoring the Constitution. They're ignoring laws. They are picking and choosing and cherry picking uh, what they want to enforce and what they don't want to enforce. They're cherry picking uh, what laws they can use to weaponize their viewpoint towards people they disagree with. And that's a very dangerous precedent. So that's not why we have the system that we have of laws and checks and balances. We have that system, Ava, so that uh, everything is fair and equitable, right? You know, we're supposed to have equal protection under the law. There's mm-hmm. not supposed to be favoritism. When you look at Lady Justice, Ava, what is she wearing? What does she have? She's wearing a blindfold. She's blindfolded. Why is Lady Justice blindfolded? Why does she need to be blindfolded? Because the facts weigh equally. Facts are facts. She's not supposed to have any bias, Ava. That's why she's blindfolded. Because Lady Justice just holds the scales. And you put the facts on the scale, and you weigh them out, and the result is the result. And Lady Justice mm-hmm. doesn't have a say. She doesn't have a say. But the problem right now, what people are going through, is that People are taking justice into their own hands and they're ignoring the law. They're ignoring the checks and balances. So when you have this type of situation where both the left and the right, the political left, the political right, Democrat, Republican, what have you, when they want to tip the scales of justice in their favor to weaponize it against each other, what winds up happening is you have people in the center who are just getting drugged through the mud. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what's happening. And when that pool of people grows to a point that they're fed up both sides and what's going on on both sides, that's when you're going to see people go, you know what, we've had enough. And no but what do you think? What do you think will happen? So people reach this point and they're like, all right, we had enough. I mean, is this just you know people are gathering and then they just? I mean, it's it's actually it's I know obviously you know I, I'm familiar with history, but it's also hard for me to wrap my mind around an actual civil war in today's society and like, where is it going to take place and how is it going to go down? And, you know, not to mention like we are so dependent on this world operating smoothly that this would cripple so many people. You know, I mean, 
The fact right. that like, okay, Amazon packages don't come every day. You don't have the grocery store. That's not going to be, you know, there's a lot of things that are, you know, aren't going to be as available as they have been. And it's also scary to think like who is going to come out ahead. But like yeah. going back to my first question, I mean, how do you think that this is going to go down? Um, I know we've seen, you know, some uh, some trailers for a movie. Uh, what was it? Silver Silver War. Was it 2024 or something like that? And I've heard, you know, quite a few people say that, like, yeah, if there's going to be a civil war, it is going to happen in 2024, especially with the elections and stuff. And so, I mean, that's just, you know, as of today, as of, you know, when the show comes out, it is now 2024. Yeah. Well. I think it's 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 good to pay attention to what happened during the troubles in Northern Ireland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ireland, you know, it was basically just a giant guerrilla campaign against, you know, British. And, you know, you would have soldiers that would occupy street corners and do cordon search and do checkpoints and whatever type of occupying activities they wanted to undertake. And then, of course... You know, the, the IRA and, and all the other, you know, revolutionaries in, in Ireland, what do they do? They, they shot them. They, they shot at them. They got in gunfights with them. Um, you know, they did everything they could to conduct completely asymmetric warfare. And every like they absolutely made life a living hell for those people. And I think that what you would wind up happening here, it's not going to be like when we think about the Revolutionary War, we think about soldiers marching and they're all in a line and then they draw their muskets and cheer yeah. reload no 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 none of that yeah you're gonna have an organized effort i mean let's just say that the belligerence in the situation would be what we view as some resemblance of the united states government for instance say that the government wants to exert control and exert martial law let's say there's a situation where it's a martial law situation well in martial law i mean there's you know we saw during covid okay look during 2020, that was a sort of a the Cold War sort of soft test for, mm-hmm. hey, what happens when we shut things down? What happens when we tell people, hey, you can't leave your house? What will they actually do? I mean, think about it. COVID was the perfect excuse for them to say, you know what? We're going to throw something at the wall here and see just how bad it goes. And and we're, we're going to see what people will put up with and what they won't put up with. So that was a test. And many people failed the test. Now, a lot of folks passed the test. I mean, think about folks I mean- that... I'd say that, but I I feel like 90% of the people failed the test. And I think that's what really opened my eyes to like, oh my gosh, you know, like even with guns being outlawed and taken away, I'm like, nobody's going to take our guns at the end of the day. Like, sure, they might have some restrictions, but like nobody's going to go door to door and take our guns. And just the fact that like when COVID happened and everybody's required to wear the stupid mask that's not doing anything or follow all of these stupid rules that make absolutely no sense that are you know i mean just like you would have to be a complete idiot to think that they made sense um and people were falling for it they didn't even ask questions they just complied and that was very eye-opening because i'm thinking like if people decide that they're going to come knocking on your doors and you know they want your guns i a part of me thinks that a lot of gun owners are going to do it You know, there's going to be a lot of compliance because people don't want, you know, maybe they're not political. They don't want any trouble. They just want to go about with their everyday life, like you were saying. And and that's kind of the problem is, you know, and the next thing you know, we have all these people that complied and and our entire country is ran by the government. Right. So in an event where, let's say, they tried to enact some sort of nationwide martial law with curfews or, you know, hey, if we, it, it, w- the way it would start would be like stop and frisk type stuff. You know, it would be, hey, we're going to set up a rolling traffic control point and we're going to stop people on the road and anyone who has guns, we're going to confiscate them. That's how it would start. You know, you just be rolling down the road with your EDC thinking everything's good and you pull up and there's, you know, 30 dudes with AR, you know, 30 dudes with machine guns. What are you going to do? Are you going to, you're going to try to draw your, your pistol and yeah. gun with somebody at a road uh, block that, you know, with 30 guys with machine guns. No, you're going to, you're going to do what you have to do to, to not, you know, uh, have to deal with that. I mean, so, they're also yeah. going to have to confiscate a lot of guns. 
I mean, they were talking about millions and millions of guns. And I don't think that ultimately, I mean, let's say that they wanted to do this. I don't think that they would ever accomplish getting even 50% of them. Right. Uh, you're right. And and at the end of the day, I think that it's not even about the amount of guns that they could or could not get. Yeah. They set up rolling traffic control points and let's say they just started confiscating guns from people when they're out on the road. Well, then what's going to happen? People aren't going to carry guns out on the road anymore. They're not going to leave the uh, house with their guns anymore. So then in so their then mind, saying, though, that you think that the government is essentially going to start it because I think it's going to be the people that start it. So you're saying like, OK, it might start with roadblocks or the government. But I'm thinking that the people are going to finally realize like, hey, we've had enough. We've had enough of this government, whether it's, you know, right or left. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a joke at this point. And and I think that, you know, there are going to be some people that put their foot down. Well, so let's say that it came from that end. Let's say it came from the civilian end and not the government end. So say that the government <laughs> is kind of going, hey, girls, that's enough. The dogs are upset. <laughs> so, so Danny, my youngest one always likes to get in Lily's face and Lily gets all growly at her and she don't like it. Hey, hey girl. All the- <laughs> anyway, I had a little spat there. Um, but anyway, if you wound up seeing that situation where let's say the government says, hey, whoa, this is escalating rather quickly. This is not what we had in mind. We want to keep the peace. We want to go, hey, let's sing Kumbaya. Like maybe they don't want to escalate things, but people decide, you know what? We're going to escalate things. I think it's going to start out with mass noncompliance. I think what what will happen is people just will refuse to obey laws. People will refuse to pay taxes. People will refuse to comply with anything. Uh, you know what 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 will happen is one day it'll reach a breaking point where someone gets pulled over for speeding or some little innocuous minor thing, and they go, you know what, I'm going to get in a gunfight over this because I'm tired of it. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll start in these small isolated types of situations where people will literally take up arms against the government, you know, yeah. and, and isolated areas. And you're going to have little hot pockets or hot spots where, you Kinda know, like there were with the riots. Yes. So you'll have areas where, you know, things are kind of just hectic as hell uh, in one given area, just because of the political tension that's going on or because uh, the class of people that's there or what they're going through or the amount of pressure that's being applied to them. I mean, think about it. Okay. We even say it already. What do we say? When we go to Georgia, right? I mean, like I live in the state of Georgia. You live in the state of Colorado. When we go to Georgia, what do we always say? Hey, we're in a free state. This is where we have constitutional carry. This is where people are friendly towards guns. This is where, you know, for the most part, a state like Georgia is a relatively free state. And what do we say? We say free state, right? Versus when we go to California, what? California is commonly called commie for Yeah. Right? So- the lines are already being drawn. And what that is, 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 is what we call balkanization. So in balkanization, what what essentially means is a peaceful divorce, but an unofficial, it, well, usually with balkanization, it would be a, a actual physical divorce of ideas and of, of land and territory. But what we see is sort of a soft core, soft cold war balkanization, where it's just more of a war of ideas now. It's more of, okay, well, if you live in California, you know the laws are impre- oppressive. Well, if you live there, then you must accept the fact that the laws are oppressive because you live there. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a point where depending on the, the type of area, people kind of feel like they've given up on trying to change things and they either have to accept uh, how things are going to be uh, there or what, what do we see uh, in California? Right. Exodus. People had left California. I think it was some tune of, I don't know, it was like a six-figure tune of, of a mm-hmm. bunch of people have left California over the course yeah, of Yeah, and then they came to Colorado, and now look at Colorado. Right. I mean, yeah. they're doing this to other states as well, unfortunately. But what you see with that idea, though, is that you know there are going to be places where people know the laws are oppressive and the government's oppressive, and there's going to be places where people know the government is not oppressive. The laws are not oppressive. That people have, let's just say, a relationship with law enforcement that is amicable and everything is good. Like right here, you know, like where I'm at. I know my sheriff's phone number. I know his son's phone number. I know a bunch of the deputies. I know a lot of the people work for the Georgia State Patrol. It's like, 
I know a lot of law enforcement and they're all pretty good people. Like I've never really ran into someone who's a jerk. I've never ran into someone who's not reasonable. So it's yeah. like, we don't really have that issue here between the civilian populace and law enforcement. Cause I think law enforcement understands that, Hey, we all have to get along and let's just do what we got to do. And, and I think that Georgia is a unique state in that, you know, in the rural areas, everybody gets along cops, civilians, doesn't matter. Like you're in a small town, everyone just does what they got to do. And everyone yeah. knows that there's a few people in town that are jerks or the few odd people in town that you can tell are a little off and the cops are like, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on those people. Oh, crazy Tommy or whoever. I mean, look, like everyone knows that person in town when you're in a small town, who's the freaking batshit crazy one, right? Versus in the cities, the cops have to be a little bit more on edge because gosh look at look at how things go i mean it's much more violent much more crime much more people and it seems like when you get people into this you know congregated into this area it almost becomes like a like a i don't know like a collective group think right it's almost like 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 an ant mound mindset where it's it's almost like people start to communicate through i don't know like you know <laughs> You know, maybe there's some crazy thing like years from now, we're going to wind up seeing some crazy phenomenon that occurs where people somehow through telepathy or something communicate with each other because they're in such close proximity. But it always seems that in the cities, people are just crazier. They're more violent. They're more on edge. They're more prone to, to commit crimes. There's more, you know, crazy things going on when you cram so many people into a smaller space. So. You know, I think when we look at it in terms of a civil war, that's where it's going to start is in the big cities, mm -hmm. you know, where you have bigger groups of people like that. And, um, you know, being out at, away from the cities is probably going to be a good idea. Yeah. Who starts it? You don't want to be near the cities. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting. And then I also I often think about, you know, I mean, I know you're saying, hey, politics aside, but like if, you know, the left and the right, if we fall with each other, I mean, what is the left even using to defend themselves with? Most of them are so anti-gun. And then I also wonder, you know, if it was the military or I'm, I'm sorry, if we if we, you know, let's say we went against the government. Then military and law enforcement whose side are they going to be on because a lot of these people ultimately you know military and law enforcement they're you know pro you know constitution pro second amendment and so i think that they would also even though they have a duty to you know to like be there you know like they work for the government it would be interesting to see if they actually would, if they would comply with that or not. No, you know, well, what, what you do is you look at COVID. I mean, that right there, again, that's the litmus test. What yeah. did cops do during COVID? They carry, they, they enforced mask restrictions. They enforced mandates. I mean, look at, look at all the cops that would, you know, beat people up and put them in handcuffs over a freaking mask of a, a piece of cloth over yeah. their face. It's the most yeah. absurd, you know, you know, I think that also you see that the government has really gone out of their way to purge uh, the military and law enforcement ranks and especially the alphabet agencies of as many conservative types as they possibly mm -hmm. can. How crazy and woke that law enforcement has gone. So yeah. I think that they've tried to purposely push out the good ones, knowing that they want to replace them with people that are much more compliant to their overall strategy for what they're trying to accomplish. So. I don't think we can rely on that as much anymore. Now, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, would it be the case that w that we could say, yes, that most, you know, maybe 70, 70 or 80 percent of people in military and law enforcement are, are overwhelmingly right wing? Uh, that would be the case. Yes. But I think now I think it's closer yeah. to maybe 60 or 70 percent of the ones that are in them. Oh, all left wingers. Yeah. And look, look at all these crooked DAs that are letting people off with a slap on the wrist. Look at all of the courts that are that are essentially handing down some real doozies for the left. Like they are literally using their position of power to purposely, uh, you know, move forward the 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 goals and, and 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 undertakings of that political party. That they're essentially political appointees. They're not there to give out justice. They're there to they're there to define their justice to give their justice, which is is not. 
you know, in step with the Constitution and not in step with our checks and balances and certainly not in step with uh, equal protection under the law for everyone. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break and talk about electronic transfer. Uh, I mean, especially now more than ever with everything going on in the world, I think it's really important that you bank with, you know, that you have merchant services with somebody that has your best interest that aligns with your political beliefs, whether you own a gun store, uh, you work in, you know, any sort of gun related goods, services, um, it's a good idea to, you know, to choose wisely because you can get canceled. And um, there's lots of companies out there that are dropping people, you know, if it doesn't align with their beliefs. So electronic transfer, they offer all kinds of merchant services for companies. And uh, you don't you don't have to be a gun store in order to uh, use their services. Let's say you own a candle business, but you're pro 2A and you want to support, you know, ultimately, like we do need to start being a little bit more wiser as to who we spend our money with. And um, because we're just, you know, money is essentially it's another type of being armed. And if we're giving, you know, these people all this money, it's power, it's, it's, you know, it's how they arm themselves. So we really need to think, um, we need to think uh, wisely as to who we're supporting. So if you guys want to check it out, electronictransfer.com or let your friends, uh, any of your business owner friends know about electronictransfer.com. And don't just put in, don't Google electronic transfer. You really have to put in the website because it seems like Google even wants to like somehow, you know, remove them. So electronictransfer.com. Um, let's talk about, I guess, sort of the disruption of like goods and services, which I touched upon, but I'm guessing, you know, especially these big cities that rely heavily, like they can't grow their own food. They rely on transportation. Um, I remember being in New York City like 11 years ago, and there was a hurricane. And I was in the city at the time. And I lived on 37th Street. And from 34th Street all the way down, all the way down, like the entire uh, rest of Manhattan, lost power. A lot of it got flooded out. The subways were flooded out. So there was no transportation. Very few people own a car in the city. If you own a car, it's because you live on like the outskirts of the city. And um, even as far as like food, I went to the grocery store like right before the storm was coming. Grocery stores were like wiped out. Obviously, you know, if there's no way into the city, if everything's shut down, trucks can't deliver food, uh, people can't get to work. I mean, just in like the few days of all of that happening, it was very eye opening. And I think after that, that's when I decided I was like, you know what, I'm I'm definitely ready to move back to Colorado. And um, yeah, I mean, it was in like extremely scary and it doesn't take that long for for things, you know, in big cities to um, to be affected. So you definitely have a better chance of survival uh, if you live, you know, in more, you know, I guess. Out in the country, really. Um but even then, you have to know, you know, you have to be prepared in order to survive. And, you know, and that includes like having seeds, growing your own food, having clean water. Um, you know, if you don't have electricity, like you really just never know what's going to happen. That's right. You know, it seems like at any one given time, our society is only about 72 hours from utter destruction. I mean, mm -hmm. people don't realize how sensitive supply lines are and how crucial our logistics and supply chains are in this country for keeping things going. Like, how do you think this, the, the store gets their groceries yeah. you know, in a timely manner? How do you think that the fuel gets to where you can pump it into your car and buy it and purchase it? The chain of logistics, the chain of operation that must occur for that fuel to be refined and made and put in a, a tank and a, a tanker truck and drove there and put in the ground, like put in the tank at the gas station. Like that whole chain is a very delicate geopolitical undertaking. It requires going halfway around the world. You know, many things have to line up in terms of peace around the entire world for our world to even exist in the way that we see it and how close that we are uh, to things going completely into a moment of chaos, right? 
when you look at uh, the internet, for instance, look at Starlink, you know, so right now, you know, I use Starlink and this is not a plug for Starlink or anything like that. However, I will say that Starlink is a great service. And when you look at what Elon is doing with Starlink right now in terms of the uh, internet and everything like that, I mean, look at what's going on with the war in Ukraine. Look at what's going on with uh, Hamas and Israel. Okay. Um, to think that all you need is a generator. Okay. And a little fuel and you can have internet. And that's a pretty powerful idea. Or you can have, um, you know, solar panels charging up a battery bank and you can run your satellite and your, your Wi-Fi and everything off the grid. Uh, Starlink is essentially off the grid internet, which is really nice. Like mm -hmm. and they have an RV satellite you can get that is mobile. Okay. So you could go anywhere and have internet as long as you have power. So what do we really worry about the most in this 72 hour period where things could go completely haywire and we have a complete disruption of goods and services? Information, right? Information is power. If you have information, you have a leg up of knowing what's going on. Why are things go? Why are things happening the way they are? All right. Is it a man-made situation? It is a, a, a nature. Okay. Has there been some natural disaster? Was there some tsunami? What happened? Right. Uh, earthquake. Having information gives you the tools to know, okay, is this temporary? Is this long-term? Well, maybe in years past, people didn't know if there was no free flow of information. You know, if something terrible happened and some supply chain was disrupted, you just didn't know. Oh, our shipment hasn't come in three weeks. You know, we haven't gotten something in six weeks. Well, why? Well, did the Indians kill them or did, what happened? Right. So, you know, to know is to have power. And that's why, um, yeah, something like off the grid internet is really important. Starlink also isn't even that expensive anymore. I mean, I think when it first started, people are like, oh man, you must be rich if you got Starlink. But like, what is it? Maybe a hundred dollars a month now. So the, uh, I, I signed up for the, uh, the pilot program, like the early release program in Georgia when they were first releasing the satellite and the equipment cost was $599 for the satellite and the equipment. And then the, the, rate that i pay each month is 120 dollars, and so it's not bad basic internet now they do have business internet and some expanded suites now especially in georgia uh, but they're starting to get coverage pretty much nationwide which is cool like with the rv satellite i think i did a speed test the other day and it's like 50 down or 60 down and like maybe five or five to eight megs up which may not be super fast but if you're in a rural area where you can't get freaking fiber, you can't get any decent internet, and about yeah. the only internet you can get is maybe just some snail internet, like super slow internet. Believe me, Starlink is lightning fast. I mean, right now, I'm literally streaming this podcast over Starlink. So yeah. I'd say it hold up pretty good. You know, we have a few little drops here and there on our show uh, for my internet connection. But, but generally speaking, though, uh, not bad. Um, and when we look at the rural community, just to sort of bring this home, Okay, versus um, you know the, the 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 you know more urban community. I think that rural people tend to have just more of a good sense of being ready because think about it. Like where I live, I'm seven miles from town. I mean, seven miles is seven miles. Seven miles may not be a big deal when you get in your car and drive seven miles, but what about seven miles when there ain't no fuel and you can't get to town? Seven yeah. miles might well be a hundred miles because. What are you going to do? You're not going to go get supplies and carry them back. Mm -hmm. Are you going to get a horse? I mean, come on. So there's all these things you got to think about. Like seven miles is a geographical anomaly in the modern world versus if you're in a city and you're without something, you can just walk down the road and get it. But here it's like, you know, you have to kind of think like if I'm going to go to town and run some errands, I've got to think, oh, I got to get all my errands down while I'm in town or I don't have to drive all the way back and forth, you know, so I think rural people just have a better sense of preparedness and being ready and and planning out their day a little more carefully and planning out their trips a little more carefully carefully and their errands and things. So I think that mindset puts you into a position that probably makes you more prepared generally than than folks in the urban uh, uh, environment. Yeah, uh, well, that makes sense. I'm curious. Um, so let's say there's a civil war. We also, I think we forget that we are also putting ourselves uh, in a threatening position. Well, in, in uh, uh, I don't know why I can't talk today. Um, nothing's new. Um, 
but we're putting ourselves in a position, like a vulnerable position with other countries, because think about how many other countries hate us and would love to attack us. And this would be the perfect time. Like now that we're fighting with each other, now would be the perfect time to like catch us off guard and, and attack us. Yeah. Believe me. So, I mean, again, I'm not like saying that I'm, I don't know. It's hard to say because I, I do, I'm obviously I'm, I'm, I don't want a civil war to happen or anything like that, but I also am kind of at this position where I'm like, okay, when is enough going to be enough? And at this point, you know, we, you know, yeah, we live in America, but like, we're not that far from becoming like some of these other countries where we don't have that many rights and it's not really land of the free anymore. Or, you know, I mean, especially when our justice system is, you know, our justice system, our politics, everything is just so biased and skewed. And, you know, we're not going by like the Constitution and all that. Like it just we're really not that far off. You know, I mean, eventually we won't be that far off. So it's I don't know. Um Let's see. I'm trying to think if there's any other topics to hit on. It's closer than it's ever been in our lifetimes, Ava. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. I think that's probably the most important litmus test to view this whole thing under, right? Think about, I mean, I'm 39. Never in my 39 years as an American citizen, I, I've lived in Georgia my whole life. I, I have lived literally within... I would say, let's see, Fulton, I have lived within a 25-mile radius of the hospital I was born in my whole life. Wow. In one way or the other, whether it was in this town or that town, I've never lived more than 25 miles away from the hospital I was born in my whole life. So, you know, and in, in, that, in that time, I, you know, I've never felt the way that I feel right now about the way things are going and the, the sort of, like I said in my tweet, the, the sort of feeling of existential dread and terror and just overall hate. And I don't mean hate in the sense that the left says hate or hate in the sense that the, that the media and everything tries to, tries to parrot in their divisive commentary. I just mean more of a sense of, you know, you hate the way things are going. You want to, you know, see things get better. It's more of a, an attitude adjustment where you're like, man, I really want to see things get better. And I've never felt that sense of dread like I feel right now. And I think a lot of people in our boat that they feel like, wow, when is enough going to be enough? Yeah. Scary. Yeah. But one last thing, the one thing that I do want to drive home in this podcast that is very important, and I mean super important, is that you absolutely do not want anything that even resembles the, the tiniest iota of the civil war. You don't want that. Yeah. But also let's talk about what's going to happen if we don't take action, if nothing happens, I think it's easy to say, I mean, granted again, I never want to be in, you know, a civil war, but like if this is, you know, I mean, at what point are we going to put our foot down and like enough is enough. And, by being sort of complacent and also just kind of accepting there's a lot of bad that's going to come with that as well. Yeah. You can't make an omelet without cracking some eggs. Anyway. I know. And I always crack the eggs. I'm known as an egg cracker. Right. I think that's really the, the dirty business at hand is that, you know, it's going to depend on which side of the political argument values their point of view more than the other and is willing to go the furthest lengths. And I think the answer to that question, as much as I hate to admit this, is that right now the left seems to be the ones that are willing to go to the furthest lengths. Because think about it. And, and look, I'm not trying to create division when I say this, but the truth of the matter is that a lot of people on the left feel like they don't have anything to lose. I mean, think, think about it. Most people who vote traditionally left they they view themselves more as dependents, like they're willing to to give power to the government in exchange for uh, some resemblance of safety or some resemblance of uh, being provided for or being catered to or something like that. They're willing to give up freedoms 
uh, just for the perception of safety. And the truth of the matter is, of course, we know that's not true uh, because the the mouse in the, in the mouse trap doesn't understand why the cheese is free mm-hmm. until it's too late. And even even when he does die from the mouse trap, he may not know that that the bait was there to catch him and put him in the trap. Mm-hmm. Over at that point, you don't even know you, it's 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 too late. So, you know, the the mouse doesn't know why the cheese is free. There's no such thing as free. When 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 something is free, you're the product. And that's the issue with the left is they don't realize that they're the product. And yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, maybe they'll wake up and understand the error of their ways and understand that, you know, we're, we're only trying to help them when we say these sorts of things. But I don't know. I don't know. They're very radicalized. Mm-hmm. And then the backing of the government, you know, the, the our government is leftist and they're very radicalized and they support them. And you, when you look at, uh, I, I always used to make this statement all the time, and I'll, and I'll end on this note because I know we're kind of going over on time here on today's podcast, which I knew we would. Mm-hmm. But I always make the distinction of like, when you look at Batman, right? Bruce Wayne, okay? Bruce Wayne is a billionaire, right? Mega money, and he could be a vigilante at night and have his crazy bat car and his bat cave and all of this technology and, you know, this crazy stuff. Because when you're a billionaire, you can do that, right? And, and we always look at someone like Michael Bloomberg or George Soros or these guys who are literal, uh, you know, Batman type figures that have that kind of money. They have evil villain money like you see in, 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 in the movies and things like that. Well, where is the, the, the antithesis to the to the evil villain on our side? Where's our George Soros? Where's our Bruce Wayne? I guess it would be really more Bruce Wayne. Where, where is the rights Bruce Wayne? who has billions of dollars to pump into uh, political campaigns and advertising campaigns and to, you know, buy off the media. I mean, look, you got to follow the money. And at the end of the day, when you, when you look at all this money that's being expended, you have to wonder, someone who's got these billions of dollars and they're using their money to forward this type of progressive, crazy, leftist, Marxist agenda, which is essentially soft core communism at the end of the day, you have to wonder what's the end goal. Yeah. Uh, you look at the World Economic Forum. What do they want to do? They want, they want to, they they actually want to like, you know, make the human race smaller. Like they they want to kill people off. Like it, they have this whole uh, eu, uh, eugenics thing that that they've been talking about. You know, oh, we need a smaller world population. You know, it's it's kind of scary to think about that. What are the billionaires working in concert? to try and get us all to kill each other so they can just lower the world's population to make the, make the population that's left easier to control. Now that's kind of getting more into conspiracies. However, you have to wonder that. I mean, eventually you have to wonder what the end game is. You have to wonder what their goals are and why they're pumping so much money into these types of ideas and, and these, and these organizations and these political movements, because they see these political movements as being an end goal to achieving what they view as total control, world government. That's what they want. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, um, definitely I'm interested to know what you guys think. Uh, Definitely put it in the comments below. Again, we are trying to uh, build up the Pew Pew panel YouTube channel. So if you guys wouldn't mind heading over there and liking that page, um, and yeah, I guess stay stay on the lookout for next week's show. It's kind of a fun topic. Not as dark as this one, but sometimes those dark topics are necessary. So uh, happy new year once again, guys. We wish you the best and uh, and we will see you next week. Keep your head up, y'all. It's going to be okay.